that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 457 for September 30th, 2016, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchot, and we're back for some more jQuery events work, PBS Programming by Stealth, episode 22 of X. Wow, that intro's getting long, Bart. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was just... I was thinking, though, there's plenty more numbers to come after 22. I was doing a little bit of mental sort of thinking, you might have this to do and this to do and this. Oh, that's cool. And this to do and this to do. So this could go on for a while. But anyway, people seem to be enjoying it. So, uh, yay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I was supposed to have an email up to read, and I seem to have, for no apparent reason, closed my email. Here it comes back. We got an email just about an, uh, two hours ago from Jim Sewell talking specifically about last week's uh, episode where Bart introduced uh, jQuery. You, I guess you called it uh, jQuery Basics, right? Yep. And I am going to read it when it comes up. There it is, there it is, there it is. I had it up. I must. I think I quit everything to make sure I was paying attention to the show. All right, I want to read this because this is fantastic. He says, Hi, Bart and Allison. I wanted to thank Bart for taking the time and effort to teach us, even us old dogs. I consider myself an old dog, so I appreciate it as well. He said, I have a task at work that, and I'll spare you the boring details, needs some magic. The problem to be solved is that some of our uh, tour descriptions have links to other pages that need to be identified and modified, but they're disguised as normal text with CSS styling. That's just me. Oh, isn't that clever? (laughs) Yeah, really. It's pretty complex how we were building the pages and doesn't lend itself to easily just grep for HTTP, for, for instance. What do I do? We have hundreds of pages, and I can't view, source, search them all. Well, chit-chat across the pond, it is easy after that. I remembered how Bart was showing us how to use the Firefox console to do JavaScripty things on the fly. I went the jQuery route and found that if I am viewing one of these troublesome pages and I open the console and enter, and I'll just kind of elaborate, he basically did a search for uh, A, and then change the CSS color to red, CSS font weight to bold, the CSS font size to 1.3 EM. Then all the links on the page will become big, <laughs> bold, and red. Now I can go to a page, press Control-V on my, yuck, Windows computer, and I immediately see all of these hyperlinks in disguise. Would never have thought of that without you, Bart, so thanks. And thanks to you, Allison, for making this possible and forcing Bart to explain things better than an expert usually does. Now I'm going to go use some of my e-grip skills Bart taught me to complete another task. Peace and love, Jim. Wow, jQuery and e-grip all in the one day. I know. Isn't that the best? I I can just imagine how exciting it was for him to go, wait, 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 I got this. I know what to do. This, I can, I have the tools. Yeah, that's, that's the reason I love being able to program is that you can, you're armed. The computer does your bidding. You're in charge and it's, it's liberating and exciting and fun yeah yeah that's very cool all right where are we going to start off are we going to talk about last week's challenge first or what's our plan that seems like a good enough thing to do um i guess before we before we dive in you know the the old rule tell them what you're going to tell them tell them and then tell them what you told them so uh just a sort of a quick idea of where we're heading today um so in the previous two installments we've been playing around inside the uh console and the console is not something we're abandoning because it's a tool that will be useful for as long as you're doing any sort of web work of any kind whatsoever. But we're going to move into actually embedding our code into HTML pages and getting it to run in the normal way. So in the way that you would on anywhere else on the web. Um, But as I say, don't forget what we've done in the console because the console is absolutely your friend when you're debugging stuff, when you're trying to get stuff to work, when you're trying to tinker around with stuff, experiment with stuff. 
you know, get it working in the console and then pop it into the real page is a perfectly valid thing to do. And you know, I use the console all the time. So it's definitely not a wasted skill. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so almost like a way, just as a preview, right? Right, exactly. You're experimenting around. Is this the right way to go about it? And you try a selector and you say, oh, ooh, that didn't actually select them all. Hmm, okay, I need to tweak this. Ah, there we go. Okay, that's the right selector. Copy, paste into code. Or I wonder, would this look good in blue? Oh, no, it doesn't. You know, okay, try again. You know, whatever. <laughs> you, you know, you experiment, you tinker around. And also debugging. Like, there's an estimate that a human programmer makes a mistake every nine lines of code. I write a lot of lines of code. That means I have a lot of mistakes to go find. Um, and so, you know, using the console to interrogate what's there, it's like, oh, I thought that was a string. Oopsie daisies. It's uh, whatever. You know, it's it, it really is helpful always to be able to peel back the covers and poke around in there. So the, the console is something I, I encourage everyone to, to keep remembering. And I guess if I'm doing my job right, setting appropriately difficult challenges, people are going to need to know about the console because they're going to make mistakes. They're going to have to find them out. <laughs> uh because we're we're back to actually embedding stuff into into HTML pages rather than playing in a playground or using a dummy page, there is actually sample code for this installment. So there is a zip file linked in the introduction, which contains all the code. You can also copy paste the code out of the page if you prefer. But as I say, the zip file may be handy just to download it all and throw it into the HEDocs folder of your local web server, if you remember that. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Uh, okay, so that's what we want to do today. But of course, before we do new stuff, we should revisit our challenge from last time. And our challenge does involve the dummy page. Uh, so the challenge was quite short to say. Um, write a jQuery command to set the target of all links in the main content region of the dummy page to underscore blank. Yes. So that was the, that was the, uh, the assignment. So uh, I, I believe you completed it and were happy about that. I not only completed it, I completed it early. I got it done two days early. And uh, I was I was pretty pleased at how easy it was. I figured, okay, the approach I took was to first find all of the A's because that's where Mm -hmm. all the all the targets, uh, the links would be. And so I did uh, dollar parenthesis, single quote, a single quote, close Mm -hmm. parenthesis dot length just to see if I was finding them. And it found nine. And I went back and I went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, yay. And then I said, uh, I know I did this in the opposite order of the way you'd want me to, but I tried doing it the other way and I got stuck. So I did it this way. I said, okay, now I needed to figure out how to add target equals underscore blank. And Mm -hmm. uh, you didn't actually specify that the way that format is supposed to be in your uh, command, but I happen to know that one. So I I just did a dollar a that dot ATTR. And I mm-hmm. did, uh, let's see, single quote, target, single quote, comma, single mm-hmm. quote, underscore blank, single quote, close parenthesis. Mm-hmm. And that set them all to blank. I was like, okay. But then I, I said, okay, what I got to figure out is what, where is the main area? Because he was, he was kind of sneaky the way he said uh, it, the main area, not, not all over the place, right? So I looked around and it looked, you had the header section separate. So I, then I knew I needed to be able to find uh, five of them or seven of them. Uh, I think it is seven, right? Mm-hmm. So this time, uh, memory serves, yeah. Yeah. So this time, so now it was dollar a comma dollar main, uh, and those two were in parentheses together, and then dot attr, and then the target and blank and uh, with commas between them. Perfect. So I have two possible approaches. To, I, I, the, to me, there were two obvious ways of doing it. So I have both results in the show notes, and what you are describing is number two on my ah, list. Okay. I think, in fact, wow, I think character it's identical. for character. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 
I mean, it is a one-line assignment. I've never given you a one-line no, assignment. No, don't, don't, don't diminish my victory here. No, no, I wasn't, no, no, I wasn't diminishing. I what I was saying is it's very unlikely you're ever going to get the identical thing to me on a longer assignment. Okay. Because you're going to name variables differently. You're going to approach things differently. It's very, I, I think it's the first time in this entire series that your solution has been character for character identical. Yeah. And it's because there are only, I could only think of two sane ways to do it. I and wish you could see how instant. straight up in my chair I'm sitting right now. I'm just like so proud. Pat my little head right here. <laughs> good, good. Because that's what I love about, about jQuery. It allows you to do very powerful things very quickly. You're not spending weeks and weeks and weeks doing boring stuff. You're pretty much straight into doing cool stuff with jQuery. Because it is, it is a very powerful language. Well, library, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So explain the okay. other approach that you took. Okay, so the other approach is to use the CSS selector. Um, so remember in CSS, if you put one tag name space another tag name, it means that the second tag name should be inside the first tag. Right, so that was the child so, thing, right? Yeah, so main space A means all A's that are inside main. Uh, okay. And then we just dot at or target blank them. Okay. What do you so either way is perfectly valid, right? You can use a selector that only selects what you want, or you can use a more general selector and then say, and I'm going to confine you to this one tag. I was kind of looking for a way to do it that way, uh, and, and I got a little con confused. Uh, calling that a CSS selector, when those are really HTML words, the, the main and the A are HTML, they're not CSS. Well, in that format, they are CSS, right? A CSS selector is tag name is a CSS selector. If you want to get all okay. H1 tags, it's H1. Okay, okay. I thought, okay. Huh. Yeah, I mean, right. if you want okay. to Because make... CSS looks at HTML of what to change, and so that's a CSS right. selector. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they are... That'll help. I'm glad I asked. Technologies. In fact, all three of them, like, so JavaScript, HTML, and CSS, there's a pretty tight relationship between them all. I mean, the, the, the browser sort of mushes those three into a triumvirate of goodness. Yeah. Okay. I got a little bit stuck there because I was like, well, wait a minute. I didn't think that's what I wanted to do, but okay, good. Now that helps. There you go. Yeah, perfect. Okay. So let us move on to embedding JavaScript into our web pages. So way back in installment six, we learned that you can include CSS into an HTML page to apply styles. And we learned that there were two ways of doing that. You could have your CSS in a completely separate file and then suck it in using a link tag in the head section. Or you could actually embed the CSS directly into the head section of your web page and put your styles straight into the web page. And we said that in general, it's more efficient to use a separate file. But sometimes, if you're only doing a few little things, what the hey, just mush it all in together. It'll be grand. <laughs> okay. And JavaScript is a very similar kettle of fish. So again, we have two options. We can either have our JavaScript in a completely separate file, which contains only JavaScript, and then sort of pull it into the page, or we can embed the JavaScript straight into the page. And again, I would say, if you're going to be writing more than one, more than you know five or six lines, you probably want a separate file. It makes it much easier when you're debugging stuff. So, okay, so my HTML is here, my styles are here, my JavaScript are here. It, it, it does make your life easier to keep those separate. But if you're only doing the tiniest of little things, it seems like an awful lot of effort to me to go make an extra files when you can just put your five lines straight in. So... I'm not saying never to embed, and in actual fact, in the, in the four examples we will see in today's installment, um, you'll see I've embedded them in all four, because I'm trying to show you how all this stuff relates to each other, so I put them together on purpose so that everything is together. 
but if you're doing a big project where there's 5,000 lines of code, the last thing you want is to have to scroll down by 5,000 lines of JavaScript to find where the HTML starts. Right. I mean, it will, it will drive you bonkers. And you're going to be constantly flicking over and back between the two because, okay, I need to write a CSS selector, so it's going to interact with the HTML. You really want to be able to have two editors open side by side and work on one while looking at the other. And if you have them all in the one file, then you're into having split screen mode and your text editor. And it's just easier when things get big to go, okay, I'll put them in a separate file. And the other very obvious thing you're going to use a separate file for is when you're importing in other people's code. And this is, so, this is a habit I want everyone to get into. Don't reinvent the wheel. There are people who spend literally thousands of man hours coming up with fantastic libraries to do just what you need. Hmm. So import their library. And jQuery is the perfect example. I mean, in theory, jQuery is just JavaScript. And all it's doing is interacting with the DOM. So in theory, I could write jQuery myself. It would take me years, most probably. And the chances are it wouldn't be as good as the jQuery we have now because the jQuery we have now has been polished and tested by hundreds of thousands of people giving their feedback. <laughs> so don't reinvent that wheel. That wheel has been well and truly invented. Import it. So one of the things that we have been doing in the dummy page is we were, call we were using this method of importing an external file. So all of jQuery is in one massive big file and we just say, suck that into the page. And I'm going to, over the next while, be slowly introducing you to some other libraries Ooh. that I use because they just make life easier. Probably next time we're going to learn about one called uri.js. Oh, I've who, heard of that. Yeah, its job, basically, what it does, it's, it's raison d'etre, or it's the, you know, the one thing it does and it does really well. It understands URLs. If you want to figure out, is this a relative URL? Is this an absolute URL? Is, what was the server? What was the port? What was the protocol? You could write, try write your own regular expressions. It will wreck your head. <laughs> but URI.js just does it for you. You just give it the string and then ask it, what was the protocol? What was the port? What was the server? What was the file path? And it, will, it does it all. So someone has done all that work, packaged it up, and you can then use it. So that's, I really do want people to get into the habit of using libraries of code that other people have written and made available. And in JavaScript, there are a lot of superb libraries out there. You know, I bet Dorothy is going squee right now because she loves to start with somebody else's stuff. That's why she does so, gets, is so productive because instead of reinventing the wheel, she's always like, wow, somebody else has solved this. Let me go find it. And then she finds it and then tweaks it until it does her bidding. Yeah, well, see, the thing is, so using someone else's code as a starting point is very useful, but... It's even more useful when it's actually written to be reused. So a library is code that someone has written for the purpose of being reused. So it's okay. packaged in such a way that it's it tends not to throw debris all over your stuff. It's actually packaged with the express intent of being used by many people in many different ways. So you'll actually find that it's actually very easy to interact with. And in fact, all you need to know about something like this, so let's say URI.js, all you have to know about it is the API. Because the API is just a specification of what functions exist, what arguments they need, what values they will return. And if you know the name of the function, the arguments, and the return value, that's all you need to know. You don't need to know a single line of code inside that if you know the API. This is why developers go bonkers when Apple say, we have 5,000 new APIs at every iPhone event. They're, they're drooling because they no longer have to care how you render a 3D spinning whatever majigger. It's like, <laughs> oh, there's an API for that. All I need to know is the name of the function, the arguments to give it, and what it'll give you back. Okay. And so that is how we're going to start thinking of stuff like URI.js. I'll give you a real world example. So today I was working on some code in work and 
basically querying a database for some stuff, pulling back all the details. And I just wanted to give people an idea of how big the data set was. So I said, okay, I'll just get a dot length on that array. And I'll throw that up using jQuery. I'll stick that into the H1 tag after the title of the section. I just say, you know, list of students, bracket, bleh, so many thousand of the buggers. <laughs> and so when I do that, it, Bart. Oh, I'm sorry. Little darlings. Um, <laughs> so when I do a dot length on an array, I get back a number. If I put that number into an HTML page, it is correct, but it won't look human friendly because there won't be a comma to separate the thousands. Right. So a big number will look silly. So in our case, it wasn't students. It was, uh, I can't remember what it was. Whatever it was, there were 30,000 and something of the, the thingies I was, I was doing up. And it just looked completely and utterly wrong to have 35462. No one would look at that at a glance and go, oh, 30,000. Right. So I say, okay, so... I can either try write my own code to start at the end, move over three, put in a comma, move over three, put in a comma. And I was like, or the chances are someone wrote this already. And numeral.js is a library entirely designed to format numbers. And you just basically give it some arguments. It basically says, you know, how many decimal places you want? How many do you want the comma separated? Do you want always an explicit plus minus at the front? Do you want the dollar symbol at the front, the percentage symbol at the back? You just basically tell it a format, give it your number, and it will format it for you. That's all it does. Its, it's whole job in life is to format numbers. But so all I had to do is put an include at the top of my code to suck in this library and then just call the function based on the API. Hmm. That was it. I have no idea how it works on the inside. I don't have to know how it works on the inside. It's like, Someone has written the library to do this. Here's the API. I just follow the docs. The docs say, okay, fine. Ah, ta-da. And it worked. It worked perfectly. And so that's now been mentally added to my list of, aha, so URI.js gets me out of those, numeral.js gets me out of this. And you just sort of build up this list of tools that you like, and you'll get to know the ones that write good documentation, and you'll love those. And then you might find ones with terrible documentation, and you'll never use them again. (laughs) Is there a specific repository for those things where people put them or do you have to go uh, to the Googles? I would generally go to the Googles. In fact, generally speaking, where you like to, when I go to the Googles, where I like to end up is on Stack Overflow. Yeah. So if I end up there, someone will have asked the question, what is the best way to format numbers in JavaScript? And then you just go through there and you scroll through the top 10 or 20 answers or whatever. And you will very quickly have a short list of five things to have a quick look at. And then you'll go to the five pages and I will usually click on API documentation. And whichever one of those makes me go, ah, good, I like this. This is well written. That's probably the one I'll download. (laughs) And in the JavaScript community, GitHub seems to be where almost everything is hosted. So pretty much everything seems to be on GitHub. So you'll find basically that Stack Overflow will give you a bunch of project names. And when you click on the links, you'll end up on GitHub, GitHub, GitHub and GitHub. You know, it does bother me that I'm being drawn into your madness when I find that I'm finding more and more of the answers to something I'm trying to do on Stack Overflow. And every once in a while, I'm in GitHub. I still run away screaming when I get to GitHub, but I imagine soon that'll be just my other second home. Yeah, you'll soon be at home there too, definitely. And Stack Overflow is starting to have a lot of Mac answers. People just write, you know, hey, I'm trying to do this on a Mac. What's what's up with that? You know, how do I do this? You'll be fully into my world when you start ending up on server fault as well, because that means you're doing sysadmin work too. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, right. sorry, that, we got awfully into the weeds there. But anyway, so you can import an external JavaScript file and suck it into your page, or you can embed JavaScript into your page directly. 
And regardless of which of those things you are doing, there is one tag you will be using, and it is the script tag. Uh, the script tag was written in order to be generic. So in theory, you can use the script tag to import any language the browser understands. Okay. As it happens, our browser under at the moment today, our browsers understand a language. That would be JavaScript. So at the, today, the fact that it's multi that it's designed to be multilingual is kind of irrelevant. But even just a decade ago, there were people writing stuff that would only work in IE, and the reason it was only working in IE was because they were using VBScript in the browser. Oh, I think Not I remember Microsoft, that. I hated that. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, that was a Microsofty thing to do. They loved their VBScript. So the script tag takes an it takes a an attribute called type. And what it expects is the MIME type of the scripting language that's going to appear inside it. So for us, that means text slash JavaScript. So okay. script type equals text slash JavaScript. Now, today, every browser will default to JavaScript if you leave out the type. Oh, but really? I could see it. Oh, yeah, completely. If you leave out the type, the browser will assume you mean JavaScript. But I don't like doing that because what if my code is still around 10 years from now? And if 10 years from now, there's multiple possible languages. Right, right. I mean, it'd be like if you'd explicit. done that when VBScript was the default, you'd be you'd be in bad shape now. Right. So I, uh, to me, I just think, look, it's not difficult to type type equals text slash JavaScript. So I do. You don't have to, but I do. Why do you have to tell it it's text? What else would it be? Uh, well, OK, but what it's expecting is a MIME type. And so the MIME type for JavaScript is text slash JavaScript because JavaScript is a plain text language. But what is there other than text? Uh, well, the MIME type for JPEG is image slash JPEG. Um, okay. okay. It's just a convention. Got it. Well, there's a link there to the Wikipedia article on MIME types. Should you be interested in going down that rabbit hole? Okay. Not entirely sure you want to, but there you go. They're, they're a thing, and they show up all over the place, actually, MIME types. Okay. So text slash JavaScript is the MIME type for JavaScript. So let's look at the first case of what if we want to link to some code that's somewhere else? Well, you would put a script tag into the head section of your HTML file. You would say type equals text just text slash JavaScript. And then you would say S or C equals and then the URL to the code you would like to suck in. And that can be a relative link to a file sitting on your own server, or it can be a full link starting with HTTP and going off to a completely different server. So what we have there is an example sucking in version 2.2.4 of the jQuery library. Okay. So that's part. That's something that you. That's probably exactly what you put at the top of the dummy page. Am I right? That is copied and pasted from yes. the top of the dummy okay. page. That's what that is. Uh, and strangely enough, since I wrote the dummy page only about a month and a half ago, there's now jQuery three. Yeah. So today's examples all use jQuery three. Huh? Very little difference between jQuery two and jQuery three. But As I recall, you said yes. you don't go back and change it unless something breaks. Pretty much, yeah. I, I tend to, when I'm starting a project, I pick a jQuery, and then that stays with the project. And it's probably better to work that way, because when they, so when they do a major version release, so from 2 to 3, they will actually give you a list of all of the changes which may break existing code. So they call them breaking changes. And then if you wanted to update the code in an existing 50,000-line project, you'd have to go look through the big list of breaking changes, and then look through all of your code and find all of the instances where your code matches the list and then see whether or not your code matches the specific subset. So they might say, we've changed the behavior of this function. You know, and usually it's edge cases. So basically the function does 99% the same thing as it used to do, but we found this edge case that was causing us trouble. So we've decided to change the behavior, or we've changed a default. 
you know, or a little thing. And to go back through existing code and fix those is really difficult. So I would almost never upgrade an existing project between major versions. And they keep the old all- ones sitting out there? They don't yeah. shut them down? but you're safe, right? You're safe to go from version 1.1 to 1.2 to 1.3 to 1.4. They will never make breaking changes. They will only do bug fixes. Okay. Or security updates. But if you go from 1.x to 2.x, expect stuff to go weird. And if you go from 2.x to 3.x, expect stuff to go weird. But you're counting on them to keep that older version sitting there at the location where you said it was. Yeah, yes. And so far, there have been three versions of jQuery, and they're all still there. jQuery 1 is still there, jQuery 2 is still there, and jQuery 3 is still there. All right. And the reason jQuery 1 is still there is because there are people somewhere on this planet who insist on using IE6. (laughs) And IE6. Oh, you anyway, that's that's <laughs> rabbit hole number seven. We won't go down. Yes. So as you can see, script type equals source equals and you're done. Now, there's okay. a weird thing about the script tag. An image tag we're familiar with is self-closing. So you just put the slash on the end. Mm-hmm. You can never have a self-closing script tag. It has to have a standalone slash script butted up against it. Looks silly, but you must do that. Huh. That's one of those weirdo legacy things that dates back to some weirdo idea someone had in like Netscape 1. <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things. And just okay. get used to it. all script tags like that. So the second thing we can do then is we can embed JavaScript directly into our page. And again, it's the same tag. It's a script tag. And we still give it a type, but we don't give it a source. Instead, we actually put our JavaScript code between the script and the slash script. Okay. And but we're not going to for- do that. We're going to do that sometimes, but you're not going to okay. do that for more than a few lines of code. So All if right. you find yourself having to scroll too much, okay, put it into a separate file. Um, for browser legacy reasons, there is a weirdo thing you do where you use something called the CData declaration and you hide it from the JavaScript with a JavaScript comment. So what you actually end up with at the very first line of, of your script is slash slash angle bracket exclamation point square bracket C data square bracket all of your code slash slash square bracket square bracket angle bracket. Okay. Just take it as a magic incantation. I have a, a text expander snippet script open angle bracket and it just barfs out exactly what you see copied <laughs> and pasted in the show notes. Okay. So if Including you're the comment, you do it your that JavaScript way. Is here. Yeah, I'm saying do it that way. It's just a magic incantation. Now, the big advantage to embedding an external file is you have no magic incantation to do. Yeah. Okay. So, as I say, it's, I could go into the hows and the whys, but basically browsers do dumb things. That is the answer to why it's like that. Some browsers do dumb things. Uh, I also want to make a special note of embedding JavaScript from something called a content delivery network or a CDN. So a large open source project would often make their code available for you to just suck into your page without bothering to download it. So in theory, you could go to, say, the jQuery website, download jQuery version whatever.js, upload it to your server, and then copy and paste the, the relative URL into the source of your script tag. And it's not a lot of work, but it's a slight pain in the backside all the same. Or you could go to jQuery's webpage and just copy and paste the script tag that points straight at their servers. The thing is, so they would basically, instead of them having it on their servers, actually use a content delivery network. So basically there'll be a server close to you. It'll always be fast. Millions of people can use it. It'll be grand. But what if jQuery got hacked? You're now saying, I don't have a copy of this code. I'm linking to your copy. If you get hacked, then the hackers can change the code I download into my web page. Yeah. 
this seems like a bad idea. So the internet has thought about this. <laughs> and only in recent years, it has to be said, but in HTML5, they added a new attribute to the script tag where you can add a hash of the correct code. Huh. It's called integrity. So you say integrity equals, and then you copy and paste in the hash. And the, what the browser will do is it will check, so it will download the code from the CDN, calculate the hash, and check it against the integrity attribute. If the two match up, the code runs. If the two don't match up, the code is discarded. So what will happen is if jQuery get hacked and you use the integrity attribute, your site won't download hacked code. Your site will break. <laughs> That's better. It's better. Yeah. It's Isn't better. that a lot of math to be doing every time somebody goes to your page? Yeah, but it's done on the client side. So uh, everyone gets to do the math once, right? All of JavaScript is client side language. Uh, so, if I refresh the page, it has to do it again, doesn't it? Yeah, your computer has to do it again for you. Okay. Hmm. Not the server. But the the, server so just, client side, that's not a big overhead. Just well, no, because if you numbers, have a million right? people, if you have a million people, you also have a million computers. Yeah, but I mean, for each one to to match the hash, not that hard. Yeah, but each one does the work once. Yeah, I mean, we're calculating hashes all the time. When I mean, just going to okay. an HTTPS website, you're caching more. You're doing way more hashing than that okay. just to load the page. Okay. So you know, our computers are good at hashing. Very okay. good at hashing because they've had to be public key crypto relies on it completely. So, anyway, this is a long way of saying when you go to the jQuery website and you ask them for their link, it'll have this weird thing that says integrity equals SHA-256 minus HVWQAZ, right? What that is about, that is the hash of jQuery 3.1.1. Okay, cool. And that is a security feature. There's another security feature I'm going to just mention so that, because you're going to see it in the code, so I want to mention its existence, but we're not going to go into detail on it. It's called cross-origin. And it says cross-origin equals anonymous. And this is part of a little handshake that goes on that basically gives jQuery some extra privileges within your browser. Normally, when you suck in code from someone else's server, it's kind of heavily sandboxed. But you don't want JavaScript or you don't want jQuery to be heavily sandboxed. So you are agreeing to allow it out of its sandbox by saying cross-origin equals anonymous. Mm. Okay. And it's actually a negotiation because the web server hosting it has to agree that its script can be given extra rights. So the jQuery server says, I'm allowed to be given extra rights. And the script tag says, I'm accepting that. And so if both sides agree, then the browser says, OK, fine, I'm going to let jQuery have extra rights. Again, it's a security feature. So the bottom line is, if you go to jQuery's web page, they give you a copy paste job. Copy okay. paste it. OK. What you're getting no is fear. the URL and security. OK. So that is good. The last thing I want to mention is another tag, which is the opposite of a script tag. It's the no script tag. <laughs> okay. This has nothing to do with browser extensions. The browser extension was called after the tag, not the uh, other way around. Oh, okay. So this is a tag whose job it is to put up a warning to people who don't have JavaScript. If, if your browser is running JavaScript, the no script tag will be ignored. So any content you put inside no script will not be printed to the page. It's as if you had a display colon none on it. It's not there. Okay. But on a browser with no JavaScript, the NoScript tag is ignored, and so the content will be visible. So a typical thing might be like you have here, NoScript, H1, JavaScript required, P, JavaScript is currently disabled in your browser, but it is required in order to use this page. Please enable it and refresh, slash P, slash NoScript. So normal people going to your site will never see that warning, okay. but anyone with JavaScript turned off will see that warning. And you can't use JavaScript to warn people they have no JavaScript. Your only choice is the NoScript tag. <laughs> Right, right. That's a, that's an interesting double negative kind of thing. Um, 
So uh, I've had a lot of people when I had a normal uh, Amazon affiliate image on my site, the one that they give me from Amazon, uh, who mm-hmm. would come to my site and they would say, I can't find your Amazon link. And I'd say, well, turn off your, your ad blocker. And it was JavaScript that was being blocked, I thought. But the ad blocker may be blocking it because it's remote content. So that may not be quite uh, so straightforward. Okay. Okay. But but if they had put a no script tag in there, then that would have uh then it would have displayed the problem. Maybe if the problem was JavaScript. If the There's problem no yeah, such okay, thing let's as just no ad blocker script. Sure, sure. Okay. Just for everybody else's knowledge, I finally made an image and made it a link so everybody'd be able to see it. That's a nice way to do it because it removes the tracking but still gives you the affiliate. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was kind of polite. Yeah, no, it's a win-win situation. Yeah. Okay. By the way, so, go Germany. Germany's still pay, uh, using their affiliate uh, link by like crazy. Love Germany. Wow, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> well done, the Germans. So I would say if you're doing some sort of, uh, like, um, for example, there's a no script tag at the top of XKPassWD. Ah. That site is useless without JavaScript. Nothing will work. None of the buttons will do anything. Okay. So it has a no script at the top. But if something like my blog, I wouldn't bother with a no script because whatever JavaScript is there is just embellishing something. It's not required. Okay. Okay. So basically use a use a no script tag on something that just without script it's useless. Just stick a no script tag at the top just as a courtesy because if someone's using some sort of blocker, at least they'll understand. And they go, yeah. "Oh, okay." Turn off the no script for this page or whatever. I might turn. I might in my link say something like, uh, "If you don't want to turn it on, that's okay, but move along. Nothing for you to see here." Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can be as polite or as rude as you feel like. <laughs> Again, the point being, you can, you have the power to show a message to the people who can't play, right? Saying why. Okay. Okay. So we now know how to stick code into our HTML page. Great. When does this code execute? It's at the top. Well, the so answer first. Yeah. So that actually would be a very large problem. So the, the script is executed as you meet it. So if that script is declaring variables, no problem. Those variables come into being at the very start. Great. And they stay there until the page is refreshed. So that's perfect. If your code is defining functions, well, that's okay too. They can stay defined until the page is refreshed. That's great. But you can't do stuff like $A because... The links don't exist yet. Oh, right. What do you? Well, you, it'll execute. The code will execute just fine, but it will <laughs> but find find anything. No links. Okay. It will find nothing. Right. And right. so you'll be sitting there going, "You do dollar a dot length." You go, "What do you mean zero? I'm looking at eleven of them. Why is it zero? It's because the code is running as it goes. So we actually need a different way of making so we can define things in our scripts in the header. So we can say var x equals four function, my cool function, and then define what the function is. But we can't run things there because the page doesn't exist yet. And this is where the event model comes in. And the browser is entirely built around this concept of events. Okay. And so an event is a very broad term. It's basically whenever something happens, and I'll go through some of the somethings in a minute to give you an idea of just how, how broad this is. But when something happens, the browser, it's called triggering so the browser triggers an event and we get to basically hang code onto onto hooks you can think of it basically we say to the browser whenever x happens do y and x is an event and y is an event handler so we add handlers to events so we might say when someone clicks this button run this javascript 
when someone drags and drops, run this JavaScript. When someone moves the mouse, run this JavaScript. When someone right clicks, run this JavaScript. When someone double clicks, run this JavaScript. You get the idea. Whenever okay. someone presses but the key, run this JavaScript. based because something has now happened. Yes, exactly. It's or something has happened. Based, right. okay. Event based, exactly. And there is an event, a very, very important event called ready. And that event fires when the DOM has finished building. Hmm. In other words, when the page has loaded. Okay. Now, it's slightly ahead of the page being fully loaded in a human sense because images can still be loading and the DOM can be finished. Yeah. So the ready event will fire before. So if you have a massive image that's going to take 30 seconds to download, the ready event will already have fired True. because the image tag exists. The fact that it currently has like half drawn doesn't matter. The tag is there. The DOM is built. Right. And so you can start to do things. You can start to say IMG and it will be found. It exists. So the most important event by a mile and a half is the, is the ready event, which basically allows you to start doing on your cool jQuery stuff. And because this event is so spectacularly important, jQuery really makes it easy to attach, it, to attach things to that event. If you pass a callback, that is in a reference to a function, to the dollar function, it will get added to this event handler. So that's Another thing we now learn we can do with the dollar function. So we know that if we give the dollar function a CSS selector as a string, it will search the whole document for all matching tags. We know that if we give it a string as the first argument and uh, another jQuery object as the second argument, we can limit our search. We, we, you use that technique for your assignment. Now we also know that if we give it a callback, it will add that callback to the document ready function. So this is in more examples of jQuery having the same function do many things depending on what arguments you give it. So if you give the dollar function a function as its argument, it will stick it onto the document ready event handler. Okay. So as a very simple example, let's define a very simple function whose job in life is to quote unquote fix links. <laughs> and so what I mean by a fixed link is that it will have a target of underscore blank and an attribute that we've not really talked about yet called rel with a value that is pure gobbledygook to us at the moment called no opener. <laughs> I like this that you is chose this as an example. <laughs> I did. So this is a security thing that we're going to, when we, we're going to talk about a special object called opener, and we're going to discover that opener is quite powerful. And then once we've discovered why, what opener can do, we're going to understand why saying no opener is a really important thing to do. Okay. So by saying rel no opener, what we're saying is in the window that pops up, do not allow that pop-up window to reach back into our window, which is its opener, and manipulate stuff. So basically, we're opening the window without giving the window access back into ourselves. Okay. And it's, a it's just a magic. It's a one-way valve, precisely. Yes, we opened you, and normally that gives you permission to talk back to us. Not now, it doesn't. So basically, we're saying, rel no opener. Don't create the opener object. Okay. okay. Yeah. It's a security thing. Uh-huh. Uh... And so we just want to say, okay, so every link on the page, set the target attribute to underscore blank and the rel attribute to no opener. So function fix links takes no argument. So it just open parens, close parens, opener curly bracket, dollar a dot atter target underscore blank dot atter rel no opener. Very simple little function. And we want that to execute when the page has finished loading. So we actually would say dollar open parens fix links close parens semicolon. So we're basically passing a function as an argument. Okay. 
and that will work. But that involves two steps. Declare my function, give it a name, and then pass that name into the dollar. So in the real world, we will use something that we have come, we have talked about many, many times in our JavaScript training. And I kept on saying we'd use it 100 million times. Well, now here we are. We can use anonymous functions. So we say dollar, open parens, function, parens, parens, our code, end the function, end the call to dollar, semicolon. Trying to see a difference between these two. They look the same to me. Don't. Oh, no, they don't. No, no, no. That's inside the dollar. Okay, there we go. There we go. It's inside the dollar. And our function has no name. We didn't say function space name parens. We just said function parens. So it's an anonymous function. Right, right, right. Okay. And we shove it straight into the dollar. So what we're saying is the line of code there on line two, run that as soon as the DOM is ready. So how do we know that's uh, at the ready event? Because that is... That is the contract we have with jQuery. jQuery says, if you give the dollar function a function, I will run it as soon as the DOM is ready. Okay. All right. So that is so we don't have to spe- spec. specify the event. We don't have to specify the event because this is such an important event. It's basically the default. Okay. All right. By the so way, jQuery- I, I thought of the way I would do this was I was going to go into um, uh, oh, PHP, my admin, and try to talk to the database to change all the attributes. <laughs> This looks way more fun. Yes, yes, it does. Okay. So let's put it all together. So we have the first HTML file from the zip file, which is pbs22a.html. And so just as a reminder, so we start off with our doc type to say we're an HTML5 document. We open the HTML tag, we open the head tag, we have our usual HTTP equiv content type, bloody blah, or text slash HTML. There's another MIME type. We're saying that this web page is text slash HTML. All right. Car set UTF8. Title, PBS 22, example one. Then we have our first new stuff. So we're saying import the jQuery library script. Source equals blah, 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 blah. Integrity equals gobbledy, gobbledy, gook. Cross-origin anonymous. Slash script. Own scripts for this page. So here we're doing an embed. We say script tag, see data garbage, add the anonymous function for fixing the links to to the DOM ready event. So dollar, inside the dollar anonymous function, close the dollar, Close the C data, close the script tag, close the head, start the body. H1, some links, a UL which contains three links. Close the body, close the page. So you'll notice that our A tags do not specify a target. They just say ahref equals blah, and there is no target. So if this code works, when you open this in a browser and click on a link, it should pop up in a new window. If that happens, our code worked. Do you know how much time I have spent adding that target equals underscore blank? Yes, I do. <laughs> I actually, uh, uh, I have um, a text expander snippet for it. Um, I've I've uh, modified the way MarsEdit works so that it adds that automatically. Yeah, and you could be using the power of jQuery to just inject it in automatically. So let me ask you a, a jQuery question here. So the sure. page has to have that specified at the top. How does that work when you have something like WordPress creating pages for you? Do you have to go back in and put those in? Okay, so your WordPress theme almost certainly has a a text box somewhere in its config that allows you to add header content. Yes. And you would paste the script source equals blah, 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 blah for jQuery in there, and it will then inject that into the head section of the page. And in fact, any code you wanted to run, you could inject the scripts tag up there to do this injection straight into that part of your theme. 
Wow. So basically, whatever you put in that text box gets injected into the head section of every single page in your blog. Okay. And and so where, that's where pages page or post. Yes, exactly. Anything. So every single, no matter what it is, the head section gets injected into all of them. Okay, I got to tell you, that was worth uh, listening to you for 22 episodes. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't go put this into the page as is, because we're going to do something much cleverer in the next few installments. Okay, cool. Because don't necessarily want every link to pop up in a new window. And oh, maybe you might want to... Oh, that's true. I don't, I don't do that. Uh, in case anybody's wondering why, we're do- why I'm so committed to this, is if I'm giving you a link over to 95 Mac Toys, I don't want you to leave my site and not come back. So I always make it an, a, a blank so it opens in a new tab. And then when you go to close that tab, you go, ooh, I forgot. I was playing over here on Allison's site. Yep. But if so it's, a, ta- if it's may- a link to something on my own site, I don't want you to end up with 28 tabs as you're looking for, for links within the site. Precisely. So what we will be building up to is using URI.js to ooh. figure out where links go. Ooh. And then depending on where they go, conditionally putting in the underscore blank. <sighs> That's so fun. Yay. Ah, and then for an extra little bit of spice, we're also going to be adding an icon to the end of the link to show you that it will open in a new tab. Ooh. Hmm. So what you will then have is links with a nice little sort of square box and an arrow icon is probably what we'll use. Yeah, to let people know you're leaving. Let people know that this is going to open in a new tab. Okay. So then again, all dynamically. So your actual markup gets simpler. Your HTML gets simpler, but your website gets cooler because jQuery is doing the heavy lifting. I like it. I like it. So we're building up to that, right? We're not there today. We're not going to get there today because you have, we were not going to learn JRI or URI.js today. And we're not going to learn how to make tags with jQuery. What we're doing at the moment, last time we were changing how they look, but we haven't learned how to make one out of whole cloth, right? Because we're basically going to be making a new image that doesn't exist in the HTML markup and injecting it into the page we haven't learned how to do that yet that's yeah. that's for next time all right okay so that is an example of the document low of the document ready event working so that function to fix our links ran the moment the dom was ready and you're going to do that a lot so it's dollar function whatever you want to do the second most common type of event is the click event when i say most common i mean the one that you're most likely to want to attach code to because the actual most common event is mouse move your mouse is moving all the time. People, I, I am always wiggling my mouse when reading web pages. <laughs> so in terms of what the browser is firing, it's firing mouse move events all the bloody time and scroll events. But in terms of what I as a programmer want to interact with, it's document ready and click. Okay. They're the two things I want to interact with. So that's the one we're going to talk about today. There are loads more events, right? We're, we're, we're going to meet them organically as we go through things, because I don't want to just give you this massive big list, and there's this event, and this event, and this event, and this event, and this event, because you're just going to go mad. That's not going to help anyone. So we're going to meet more events. So don't think this is it. We're going to meet more events. But for now, we're going to look at click, and then we're going to call it a day, actually. Okay. But we're going to play around with it. We're going to have some fun with clicking. Okay. So the jQuery function to add something to a click handler is click. Now, Clicks are slightly different to the DOM being ready because a click has a target. A click is something that is an event that happens to a thing. You click on a button or you click on a paragraph or you click on a header or you you click on a thing. So when you're attaching a click handler, you don't attach it to the whole page. You attach it to the thing that you think that you want people to click on to do something. Hmm. So a click is attached to something. 
Okay. I and the something is what it is they're clicking on that you want to make do something. So click expects one argument, and that argument is to be a function. In other words, a callback. In other words, an anonymous function yet again. Okay. This is remember I said anonymous functions are everywhere. Good. So it expects you to give it a function as its argument, and it will run that function when someone clicks on the target. And you inside the click handler, so inside the anonymous function, you can access the thing that was clicked on using the magic variable this. Hmm. And again, to jQueryify this to make it shiny, you say dollar this. Just like we learned about last time when we were doing filtering, I think it was. Yeah. So you're going to see this, if you'll excuse the pun, a lot. Dollar this basically means soup up this and make it better. And this being the thing you just clicked on? This being whatever it was you clicked on. Okay. We can add the same handler to multiple things. So if you have 10 paragraphs and you want to add a click handler to all paragraphs, the power is that when it executes, this will have a different value depending on which paragraph they clicked on. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. So our code becomes wonderfully generic. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do as an example is we're going to assume that there exists a CSS class called highlighted. And whenever you click on a paragraph, you want to toggle that class. Okay. So click on the paragraph once, the style is applied, click on it again, the style is unapplied, click on it again, the style is reapplied, click on it again, the style is unapplied. Okay? Okay. So to attach to a paragraph, the first thing we have to do is get our paragraphs. So we say $P. Mm-hmm. So we now have all the paragraphs. And then we say, to these paragraphs, we want to add a click handler. Then we say dot click. Then we do our anonymous function. We say dollar this dot toggle class highlighted. And you did say highlighted is a thing that has to have existed in CSS already, right? Yes, precisely. So we're going to see a full page example, and I'll show you where that came from. Okay. So... You can't obviously do that, right? So this is how we add a click handler to all paragraphs. And when you click on the paragraph, the, the class gets toggled. But you can't, you can't add the click handler to the paragraphs until the paragraphs exist. Okay, but they exist as soon as the DOM is ready, right? Right. So the place you add your other click handler, the place you add all of your event handlers is inside the event handler for the DOM being ready. Right, but I thought that the that's always true. That's the default, right? Well, no, if I put that code, if I didn't put that code inside dollar function, it would not be true. So you'll see in the example, we say dollar function, and then we say dollar p dot click. You have to do it inside the event handler for the document becoming ready. So I'm a little bit confused by your examples then. So you, you just read us an example where you said $P click anonymous function this dot toggle class highlighted. You're saying okay, that's and that not is correct? correct code. No, no, that is correct code, but that code must be placed inside the event handler for the page becoming ready because otherwise that code won't work. If that code is just sitting at the top of your page without being wrapped in another event handler, then it will execute the moment it's met in the page. No paragraphs will exist. It will add a click handler to precisely nothing. Okay. So you got to take I that code. The subtlety then that, that this uh, doing the dollar function, uh, the dollar anonymous function first is what says you're going to wait until the event uh, handler for uh, ready is. Has okay, but no, used. you do it inside that event handler. Well, right, right. That, that's what I thought I just said. 
is that you have to say so dollar first. You have to put dollar function. You got to put dollar anonymous function and then put this stuff inside there because yes. dollar function, uh, dollar anonymous function will execute after the event handler for the DOM being ready is executed. Exactly. Exists. Okay. Yes, exactly. So your dollar, your dollar function will have a whole bunch of other dollar clicks and stuff like that inside that. In a real world example, it won't just be one, of course. Okay. Okay. So you probably have like 10 okay. buttons on the page. So you'll have 10 click handlers. You, but they'll you have all be a text inside. expander snippet for this too, don't you? Uh, to be honest, I don't because jQuery is so short on typing. Like very little of that is boilerplate. But dollar parenthesis function, open close parenthesis, yeah, okay. squirrely bracket, squirrely bracket. I, I, I type that quicker than I could type an expansion, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think some things you just do so often that they're not quite expandable. But anyway, yeah, yeah I guess you could. I mean, there's no reason you couldn't. <laughs> I would just to make sure I didn't screw it up. <laughs> That's another way to go. Yeah. Okay. All so right. again, let's let's put it all together into a real page that does something. So this is example two, which is pbs22b.html. Again, our, our, our doc type, our HTML tag, our head tag, blah, 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 blah. We load jQuery just like before. Then we have our script tag. We say initialize the page, execute it when the DOM is ready. We have our dollar anonymous function. And then inside that, we have our $p.click, $this.toggle class highlighted. Okay. Then we have our embedded CSS, style type equals text slash CSS, another MIME type, by the way. Ah, uh, okay. So we say define the style for highlighted elements. Dot highlighted, in other words, the class highlighted, dot means the class, mm-hmm. open squirrely bracket, background minus color yellow, font minus weight bold. So this is not a particularly subtle highlight. <laughs> it's, right, it's going to be pretty obvious. All right. Then we close the style, we close the head, we open the body, we have H1, some paragraphs, a P tag, which contains click on any paragraph, including this one, to toggle highlighting on and off. Then we have Laura Mipsum, blah, 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 blah. So if we pop that up in our browser, uh-huh. so 22B, and click around, lo and behold, first time you click on any paragraph, it gets the style, next time it loses it, and then it gets it again, and it loses. That's magical. <laughs> That's really cool. I mean, it's ugly yeah. as all get out, but... Oh, yeah. I mean, I could have been subtle, but I wasn't. Because uh-huh. the point is to show you there's definitely something happening here as I click around. There can be no doubt that this is happening. I could put so little that... little Easter eggs in, like like uh, when you click on something, it, can it talk and stuff? Like, I guess you could play audio. People would probably hate you. Well, what are you doing clicking on my paragraphs for? Maybe that's what it's going to say. Quit clicking on me! I... I... I also, as well as wiggling my mouse a lot, I also tend to click and highlight and drag and drop and all sorts when I'm reading a web page. I'm always clicking around. But anyway, so you can see a click handler is an easy thing to add. Yeah, you just say dot yeah. click and you give it the function. And you can access the thing you clicked on with the magic word this. And you fancify it up by saying dollar this. Yeah, that made perfect sense. Excellent. Okay. I want to tell you about one more thing before we call it a day. Um, and then... I need to tell you about this one more thing so that we have an assignment to set you. Okay. So events are a way of making code run when the user does something or when something happens that the browser is doing. You know, it's finishing loading something or whatever. There is another type of event called timers. So the browser has timers built in and you can use timers to make things happen at certain, well, not at certain times, but after certain times have passed. So there's two types of timer. There is a timeout and there is an interval. Hmm. So both of these expect a minimum of two arguments. 
they expect you to give a callback, in other words, a function, and they expect you to give the number of milliseconds to wait as a number. So five seconds is 5,000. One okay. second is 1,000. Half a second is 500. It's always in milliseconds. Uh, and if your callback needs arguments, you can add them after the after the number, and it will pop those into your function as arguments. This that's a slightly weird thing to to do, but I've never actually needed to do it. But it is possible. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I figured I'd mention it for completeness. So to create a timeout, so a timeout is something which happens once. So when you say set timeout, you give it a function to execute, and you tell it how long to wait. When the time runs out, the function executes once, and that's the end of the timeout. So it's a one-off thing. So set timeout, do this, wait five seconds. In five seconds, it will happen. That was the end of the timeout. An interval is almost the same, only it's in an infinite loop. So if you say an interval, so if you say set interval, give it a function and give it a number, it will wait that amount of time and do the function. Wait that amount of time and do the function. Wait that amount of time and do the function. Wait that amount of time and do the function. Okay. You get the idea. I'm yeah. not going to keep... <laughs> I think so I that's got the difference between a, That's the difference between a timeout, which happens once, and an interval, which happens over and over again. Hmm. Both of them, when you say set timeout or set interval, JavaScript actually returns a number to you, which is an ID for the timeout. And so if you want to cancel the timeout or the um, interval at any later time, you can say clear timeout and you pass it back that number or clear interval and you pass it back the number. What, what number do you pass it back? So the function set timeout will give you back an integer, which is the ID of the timeout you just created. Oh, and oh if okay. you give it back that ID, it will cancel the timeout. So you might have a timeout set for 30 minutes. But every, but, you know, if the user clicks on some button, you will, okay, fine, I won't do it in 30 minutes. So you, you can kill it any time until it runs. Once it's run, there's no point in killing it. It's run. Okay. Unless you're an interval, in which case you really might want to kill it because it's probably annoying you. <laughs> so our first example um, is uh, 20, oh, I have typos all over the place here. PBS yeah. 222C, apparently. Um, PBS 22C. And this sets a timeout, which will pop up an annoying alert after five seconds. So, yes, it does. And again, we have to set the timeout inside the ready function. I guess we could get away with it in this case, but it's just good practice, actually, to do these things inside the ready, inside your dollar function. So in this case, all it does is it puts up a website, waits five minutes, and then pops up an annoying alert. And you can see it works just fine. Now, I could have used the same example for an interval, but I think you would get more than a little bit annoyed if I put a pop-up up every five seconds. Yes. So instead, we're going to do something a little bit different, and we're going to say every three seconds, change whether or not the paragraphs are highlighted. Oh, that's much less annoying, Bart. <laughs> that's much, Again, we're proving a point rather than doing something particularly useful. So this is 22D. Yes. And again, so you can see all the parts. We have our dollar function. Inside there, we say set interval, anonymous function, $p.toggleClassHighlighted, 3,000. So 3,000 is three seconds. Then we have our style tag in which we define what it means to be highlighted, color yellow, font weight bold. And then we have some paragraphs. And when you 
run the page in your browser, you will see you wait three seconds and they all go one color and then you wait three seconds and it goes back and you wait three seconds and then you... Can I close that tab now, Bart? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> but you can see the timeout, the, the, the interval is clearly working. Yes, yeah. So we have made code happen based on a timer. And the reason I'm showing you this is because we have a second thing we're working towards. So I want to work towards a fixed links that does all those nice things we described. But I also want to work towards a new clock for the Nasilacast live page. Oh, we're going to need time. We're going to need something that updates every minute, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Or so, every second, depending on how precise you want that to be. So I can see how the, the timeout then is the thing that your bank pops up that says, hey, I'm going to log you out if you don't click something. Yes, yes, it would be. And it would, can, it would clear the timeout if you do click something. Yeah. Now, my bank puts up a thing saying you are about to be logged out in 60, 59, 58. So they have an interval going there and a timeout. Yeah. Uh, but then they also manage to make it re-engage. They call it again. Yeah so, yeah. so what they're basically doing is they have a very, very generic handler that says that every time you click on anything or maybe every time. Yeah, probably every time you click on anything. It resets. Clear the, the timeout. Clear oh, the time. timeout and reset right. it. Clear the timeout and reset it, clear the timeout and reset it, clear the timeout and reset it. It's a bit hacky, but that is what they're using. Those are are the tools at their disposal, timers and intervals. Okay. Okay, so that's that's all the new stuff I want to put in your brain for today. And now I'm going to set you a challenge. And this one is not a one-liner, but it's also not huge. Oh, it looks scary. It's got three steps and lots of words. Right, but it's also got a whole bunch of code written for you already. So I would like you to use as a starting point the HTML page that's in the zip file and also on the page, you can copy and paste, called pbs22-challenge.html. Okay. So that is the the template into which I want you to stick your code. And there's a giant big comment there that says, insert your code here. I would like you to insert your code there. Okay. So the page contains, it sucks in the jQuery library. Then it has the script tag I want you to put your stuff into. And then it has a CSS, a style tag that defines the highlighted class. So what I'd like you to do is, okay, so I'd like you inside the script element to declare a variable. And I'd like you to name it blink interval ID. And I'd like you to give it the value zero. And because we're declaring it inside the script tag, it has a global scope. Okay. So that means that variable will exist until someone refreshes the page. Right. And all your functions can access it. Right. You said so that if you define one. variables at the in the uh, at the top, that'll be the first thing, so they'll exist in the head. They'll, they'll exist and they'll keep existing until the page is refreshed. Okay. So I'd like you to declare, declare a variable, and I'm hoping that will be easy. Okay. I think I might be able to do that. Then below that, I'd like you to declare a function. I'd like you to give that function the name toggle blinking. Uh, so it's this not function an anonymous should, function. It's not an anonymous function. Okay. I'd like you to name it. Uh, this function will take no arguments and return nothing. So it's a very simple function. Okay. But I've given it a name. Inside that function, I want you to, if the current value of the global variable blink interval ID is zero, I want you to create a new interval which will toggle the highlighted class on all paragraphs every one seconds. Okay. And then I would like you to save the ID of this interval into the variable you created called blinking interval ID. Okay. Which, by the way, I chose that name because in the UK that means, like, bloody interval ID as well. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um. On the other hand, if the current value of the global variable is not zero, then it means there's already an interval running. 
So I'd like you to cancel, to clear the interval. Okay. And then set the variable to zero to indicate the fact that you've mopped up after yourself. So you told us that there was a way to talk to that er interval ID, but you didn't tell us how to do that. I, well, I, I, I may have been a bit quick about it in our talking, but in the actual show notes, I say that the functions is so set interval and set timeout and clear interval and clear timeout. Okay, but you didn't tell us how to call it? Well, I said that the only argument they take is the ID, which we have saved in the variable called blinking but ID. we didn't use so the ID in the example, did we? We didn't. No, that's, yeah, I know. That's why this is a little bit... So this isn't using something we learned. This is figuring out how to do something we've never done before. Well, no, it's figuring out how to do something I've told you about, but not shown you. <laughs> I've told you about you it. Told, no, you told me it existed, but you didn't tell me how to do right. it. Okay, so I'm behaving like the documentation you will find when you go to use someone else's code. Okay. <clears throat> right, this is part of the assignment. All I would right. like you to get into the habit of reading what code does and just, on, just doing it. Okay. Rather than having okay, so then we have a variable and a function. I would then like you, finally to create an anonymous function that will execute when the DOM has finished loading, so we know how to do that. Inside this function, I would like you to add an event handler to every paragraph that will call our function toggle blinking every time someone clicks on a paragraph. Okay. So to test your code, load the page, click on a paragraph. As Soon as you click on the paragraph, the blinking should start. Click on the paragraph again, and the blinking should stop. Hmm. Click on a paragraph again, and the blinking should start again. Click on it again, and it should stop. Okay. And then you'll know you've done it right. All right. The other thing I'd like to tell you about is that, so I've told you that the console is not to be pushed aside. Don't, don't start ignoring the console just because we don't have to use it. There is a JavaScript function called console.log. It will write to the console. And you can pass it anything as an argument, any variable. It could be an array. It could be an object. The console will print that out for you in a human-readable format. Yeah. So if you have an array with 5,000 elements, if you just say console.log, name of the array, it will print out that whole array for you. So if you want to see what's going on, console.log. Cool. Okay. I did play with console.log when I was doing uh, Codecademy. Yes, you would have. Because console.log is, is like pbs.ca. Yeah, well, they used console.log to write to their web page and set it to the real console. So they can, well, they use the same name to do something else. Oh, okay. Like but no, console.log yeah, is a good, good. habit to get into. It's a good habit to get into. Okay. So, so you're, you're saying to put console.log things inside our code to see what it, whether it's doing what we think it should be doing. Yeah, so if you're sitting okay. there going, this function is executing, it's not doing what I think. I think that the variable x contains the number 42. What does it? Console.log okay. x. Oh, sugar, it actually contains the string 4. Uh, Why? What have I done wrong? Okay. You know, and then go back. So basically, you can use it to test your assertions. All right, cool. And usually, I find that that's what solves my problems. I do a console.log, it's like, oh, I named it that. Oopsie-daisy. <laughs> so that, that's basically it for today. So. Right now, we're actually well on our way here. So we know HTML, right? We can define the structure of a web page. Mm -hmm. We have CSS to make it look the way we want to look. 
And we have now dipped our toe pretty firmly in the water in making it do what we want to do using JavaScript and the power of jQuery. So in the big picture world, we're coming on good here. Right, right. Now, there's still a lot of detail to be painted in, right? We have no idea how to make a button, how to make a text field, how to make a drop down, how to make a radio button, which are all really useful things when you start doing clicky things, right? When you (laughs) want to have event handlers, we want those kind of things. Right. So we've got to learn those. We also have a whole bunch more cool event handlers to learn. Drag and drop is a really fun event handler for building up stuff. Uh, but there's lots more of them as well. So we're going to learn, we're going to meet these event handlers as we do things. And then the other thing we haven't yet come across is we've been using jQuery to, all, to change things that exist in a web page, but we can actually use jQuery to make entirely new things come into being and inject them into the web page, make images appear, make whole wow. new pop-ups appear. And so that's a whole area of JavaScript we haven't, or jQuery we haven't even begun to delve into. So that's what you can look forward to over the next few installments as we start to build out our knowledge of jQuery and JavaScript to really bring our web pages alive. And in the end, you'll be able to do things like uh, subnetcalc.8, which does the subnet calculations, all those kind of things. They're all built with jQuery and all of these techniques we're going to be learning. So basically, we're doing really well. We've learned a lot, but we still have a lot to look forward to. This must have been really frustrating to you to, to know all this stuff you could teach us, but realize that you had to do so many weeks of, of the foundational stuff to get to the really fun parts. I've basically spent the last year waiting to get here. <laughs> Honestly, this is where I've wanted to be since day one. And my question in my brain has been, how can I possibly explain this in a way that won't make everyone's head explode? Well, the answer is start at the start and work your way forward. Yeah, and yeah. So that's what we've done. This is really getting fun, but you're right. So much of the words that you're using are things that are just knowledge now to me, not, not, what? What are you talking about? So, yep. Yeah. And the only way to get there is to do it slowly, little yep. by little. <laughs> so here we are. And that's what we have to look forward to. All right. Well, very cool, Bart. Uh, I'm going to be uh, itching for another show soon. That's for sure. Well, I will be happy to oblige. Uh, I guess it's probably in a fortnight. And until then, happy computing. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. We are now supported by Patreon. So if you go over to podfeet.com slash Patreon, you can pledge your support to the show in weekly installments. If you don't have money to spare, I understand that. And it would be great if you used our Amazon affiliate links when you buy things on Amazon anyway, and a little bit of money goes to help the show. I love feedback, so please send me email at allison at podfeed.com, and you can join in our Facebook group over at podfeed.com slash Facebook, and our community at podfeed.com slash Google+. Thanks for listening, and stay subscribed.